Hello and welcome to the Road to the Garden podcast, a championship edition, a double championship edition of the Road to the Garden podcast. I'm Matt St. Jean here as always, and I'm joined by Andre Greska from Paint Touches covering the two-time Big East champ, the double Big East champion, Marquette Golden Eagles. How are you doing tonight? Not too bad. I'm not going to say it's probably one of the best nights being a Marquette fan in a while, in a long time. Yeah, no, uh, it was a, a big night and uh, a surprisingly easy one for the Golden <laughs> Eagles, who cruised past Xavier 65 to 51. Uh, this was definitely not the game anybody expected that it was going to be coming in a lower scoring game, a little bit more defensive and uh, blowout. Uh, the biggest it wasn't the biggest blowout we had in the tournament, but it kind of felt like it was. Um yeah, but before we before we get into it, we're going to break down all of this and the whole weekend here for the Marquette Golden Eagles. A couple of reminders before we get into it. First, we've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they're here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek, download their app, and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for $20 off your first purchase. You can use that next week for the uh, NCAA tournament. Marquette fans, if you're here, you're trying to go, go use that code and uh, treat yourself. They go into a game there, a little discount. And as always, this podcast is presented by House Enterprise and in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com for more info. I want to start with what I think is probably the most interesting stat to me from this game. Uh, 51 points for Xavier. A season low for the Musketeers. And this is a Marquette defense that I think is peaking at the right time. Would you agree? Oh, 100%. Um, it, it's weird that, I mean, you saw the over-under. I think it was like 155 going into the game. And I was like, oh, they're definitely going to go over. I mean, these three team, these two teams aren't known for their defense. I know they've played some lower scoring games, but um, you think in this environment, it's just going to be back and forth transition um, with a lot of shot making. And it was the complete opposite of that. So um, the, yeah, the Marquette's defense was intriguing because especially early on, they doubled everything in the post. They were just, okay, mm-hmm. you know what? If you're going you're gonna to beat us, you're going to beat us from the outside. But they had this tenacity about them, about recovering, where it, it wasn't like they were giving up open threes. Um, they were contesting everything, but they were forced, forced five turnovers in the first, like, 10 minutes. I um, mean, really just got Xavier out of their element, I think, until the last, like, four or five minutes of the, the first half. And by that point, the, the lead was already at 16 or 18 or 20 or something like that. It's where um, it's not necessarily something that, is easily surmountable with a couple possessions. So um, I, I was very, very kind of impressed with the way they were able to um, ratchet up the intensity for such a big game in such a special occasion. Yeah. And I think you, you noticed that right off the bat, you noticed that before the game even started, I mean, you, when you watch warmups for the golden Eagles, they just, they bring that intensity right off the bat. Um, one thing I thought was kind of funny about that too, it's a it's a really nice blend of being calm but bringing energy. And you got David Joplin was out there practicing his threes. He's got the headphones on. He's singing out loud to whatever he was listening to. I I didn't know. I couldn't tell what song it was. But they do that, and you get the drills. They get the energy up right before they end warmups, and then they go back in and come back out for the game. And 
came out the gates bringing the energy i think the crowd helped with that too a lot of marquette fans yeah because obviously I, I was reading some of the tweets and i think it was either douster or norlander it, like like wow there's a surprising amount of marquette fans so i know you you were in the building so i was curious about that was it noticeable because of the score or was it noticeable just because of the the turnout that in terms of fan bases well, the one of the things that makes it hard is where we were sitting was in the Marquette like <laughs> section, so right. I think that made it a little bit more difficult to tell. But I, one of the things, I mean, when I was walking in Thursday for the session, I was walking in with all Marquette fans who were all there. <laughs> so I, th- I think the Golden Eagle fans just all traveled really well. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, you come off a season, a regular season like the Golden Eagles had, and that's going to get the energy up, and you're going to get fans to travel for that. But I don't, I, there's always a lot of Xavier fans. I mean, there's Big East travels well in general and um i don't know maybe it's the, the marquette fans were just there to jump on the tickets that had gotten sold by the other yeah. teams who thought they were going to be there and bought tickets ahead of time <laughs> yeah i did see that the stub hub prices kind of plummeted once once UConn was knocked out so i'm, I'm oh. sure there's a bit of that but i mean it's it is it was um I'm, I'm sure you saw the tweet by jerry carino um saying that oh it's not good for the big east to have um the he didn't phrase it that way, but it's basically like the Midwest teams in the championship is bad for the big East. And obviously being from the Midwest and being a fan of one of these Midwest teams, I, I took offense personally and a lot seen by the replies. There was, I was not the only one, but in general, I, I take the opposite view because once you give these fans a taste of what it's like, it makes them more liable to become yearly goers. So obviously it's not as easy as taking a train down or, or driving to the stadium from New Jersey, whatever, however people get there. Um, it requires a little bit more planning, but I mean, talk to all those fans that just experienced that for the last three days. I'm sure they're going to be able to give glowing reviews and want, want to be part of that again. Exactly. And I think that's something that stood out Friday night when you're taking it in and Saturday is like, it's, it's teams that may not have really been there before getting there for the first or the second time when you, when you talk about Xavier, but the energy is still the same. The passion is still the same. It's still great basketball. It still feels like the Big East. Yeah. And it's just that's that's what matters. I think that feeling that you get when you're at the game, uh, I don't think any other conference has that for their championships. And as long as that's there, it doesn't matter which team. Fans are going to find a way to get there. Yeah. No, that the venue is special too. Madison Square Garden is, is the mecca of basketball for a reason. Um, I haven't been to a conference tournament in a bit. I think Big Ten in mid 2000s. So, I, I mean, I'm not a great kind of advocate for conference tournaments, but they, I don't, I didn't feel it. You know, like you're in the United Center and there's opposing fan bases and there's lots of colors and it was, I think it was a semifinals. It was Greg, Greg Odin's team, so you can imagine how long ago it's been. Um, and it was fun and it was cool, but it wasn't like something that changed my perspective on the big 10 or college conference conference tournaments or college basketball it was just like a game in an nba arena and you don't get that sense like the the way the fans engage interact get get into it um it just feels like a bigger stage than than anywhere else and you talk to like we're talking to the media all the guys were hanging out in the press room and talking and the number of people who were there who don't necessarily have to cover college basketball or cover the Big East or anything like that, who just make an excuse to come because they're in the area and they want to go and they want to cover it because it's cool. Uh, and that's, I mean, you get to meet all kinds of different people, but it's like, it's 
the people in the press, the people who kind of filter what people are going to think, right. all love the Big East tournament. And those yeah. are the guys that go all over the country looking at stuff. They are all saying, hey, the Big East tournament is the best one. I'm going to go out of my way to go. Yeah, I think Tim Brando's call, was it on Friday? Thursday? It was on Thursday providence versus um yukon when he's like i've been i've been covering conference tournaments for my whole life i've been to all of them and this is the the biggest atmosphere i've ever had for a quarterfinal game or something like that it was like just a perfect synthesis of exactly what you said yeah. people that are paid to do this for a living kind of advocating on the conferences we have so it's not just like a fan thing it's not a an experience that people have because they have an affinity to this conference it's it's just something that is special about it Yep. And that goes for having it in the same place every single year too. It's yeah. you know where it's gonna be. You know, there's <laughs> gonna be a conference tournament across the city in Brooklyn at Barclays Center. I didn't know which one it was until last week when I looked it up. And it's the A10 that's here this year. I think it was the ACC was here last year. And it was one thing that was funny was talking to all the media people last year, complaining about how their editors were making them go to the ACC tournament <laughs> to cover Coach K. And yeah. they would go only for the Duke games and everything else. They'd come back for the Big East tournament. So yeah. that's that's what it holds in the places of uh, every I minute. Mean, it's, it's a special event. I want to go back to what you said about the defense, though. Yeah. Because one of the things that I was most impressed by tonight watching this Marquette team was Oso Iguodaro as a, a post defender. Part of that was going against Jack Nunji. Uh, it's not like he's going against Adama Sonogo as, as a post threat out there. That was that was Friday. Mm -hmm. But he held his own against Nunji really well. And obviously, Colby Jones has showed shooting woes or something we're going to be – not Colby Jones, Sule Booms. Or is that something we're going to talk about in a little bit here? But Nunji took forever to get on the board. The first eight minutes, he was kept off. And I think Igadaro was a huge part of that. You mentioned the double teams, but I thought when yeah. he was single, it worked too. Yeah, it's surprising because he has this slender build where you don't expect him to be able to body up some of the big, big, bigger big men in the big, uh, big East. But he's done a very, very good job. And, and the other thing you have to consider is that the depth behind him is, is thin. So obviously Ben Gold um, can come in for spot minutes. We saw David Joplin against UConn come in, but Joplin's a two in a three's body, and he's definitely not a five. Um, ben Gold is pretty raw and um, not necessarily as polished defensively as he is on offense. So he has not to not only defend these bigger post-up guys that have decent footwork and, and good moves. He has to not foul. And obviously against UConn, that didn't happen at all. He, he was, I think he only played like 18 minutes. Um, he was in foul trouble all game. So that, that was, that's another thing he's done very, very well all season is that he's in this position where he's bodying up bigger guys um, with beefier frames, but he's doing a really good job of, of just main, maintaining that verticality and giving up buckets when he can't get there. So obviously Nunji couldn't get close until midway through the first half, but even in some of the um, the drives, like you, you saw, I think Kolek definitely on one, just give it up. Like, yes, I can contest it, but I might get called for a foul. It's not worth it because I might even give up an and one and get pulled if I get my second or third foul here. So um, it, it's a really weird kind of vibe where no one that plays Marquette is going to be afraid of the defense, but the defense is, is pretty tenacious outside of what uh, until it realizes that they didn't get the stop and then it's like all right well we'll cut my losses and we'll come back next possession and try again 
Yeah, and I think it's it's good enough to get the job done. I don't think this isn't the VCU havoc shotgun smart defense, but with the offense at the other end, it doesn't need to be. It just needs to get the job done. And I think we've seen when they decide they want to ramp up the ball pressure, the ball pressure is really yeah. good. And basically they can bring if they bring a double team, it's pretty much always effective. No matter where they're bringing it on the floor, it feels like. Um, and I the communication to the defense has stood out this week because the the seems like the calls have been very complex. Um, lots of we've seen press yeah. at points against UConn. We've seen zone. We've seen man and just trying to make sure everybody's in the right spot and they communicate it so well. And you compare that to other teams you get to see this week. Marquette was the best, I think, at actually communicating all of that stuff. Yeah, and that's a really good point. I, I think I'm not sure if um, Ryan Cassidy tweeted out a, a video clip of that communication and it was just such a great one because um it ended up with damasanogo kind of taking this 10 foot um baseline hook jumper sort of thing that missed but there was so much activity on the defensive end before that where three different players ended up defending him at one point uh, but it, it's kind of seamless and obviously it doesn't always work that way um, teams like Villanova actually gave Marquette a ton of fits because they have very good perimeter ball movement and obviously with a, a quick pass you can really shift the defense so that's this isn't to say again that Marquette's defense is all of a sudden going to be great but um, it, it has shown that when it is at full capacity when it's intense um, and when it is uh, focused on the job at hand it is more than capable of being an asset not just kind of uh there to support the offense that's going to be fun and free-flowing yeah marquette's defense is now in the top 50 in ken yeah. Palm, up to <laughs> who would 47 have, who would have yeah so a huge jump there and a lot of that was just what happened this week um because you look at the, the week before that Go back to last Saturday that came against St. John's, yeah. where you're allowing 94 points. I think St. John's got a couple shots to fall that aren't usually going to fall in that one, but still, it's yeah. you you allow 94 points. It's not a great defensive outing, and to turn that around like they did this whole week was impressive. Yeah, and and again, this is where um, I think there was a um, I forget his name. He's very good. He he writes for the Field of 68 at times. He has a Tennessee blog. To find him, he did a study about extreme teams, so teams that have extreme outliers, whether it's offense or defense, in terms of Kempom efficiency. So, um, he bucketed Marquette with Baylor, Gonzaga, Xavier, and Arizona, where they all have top 10 offenses and sub 60 well, at the time, sub 60 defenses, and then kind of looked historically on how these teams do. Um, in the NCAA tournament, and as you would guess, uh, these teams are ripe for upset because all it takes is one off shooting night, and obviously your defense can't support you. So that that he wrote that, and I was like, oh, that's a really good point. Um, I think the two examples that were most recent were Iowa State and Fred Hoiberg, and then um, LSU in 2019, and both were out real quick. Um, but then one of the other ones was Michigan 2013, the one that made to the Final Four. So I'm like, okay, I take this. And the one thing I found is that Marquette's splits defensively are are very unique in terms of the subset that he was analyzing and kind of the additional teams that I came on to, to bring into there because um, they're much, much better. At the time, it was like 96.3 points per 100 possessions on Bart Torvik against Q1 and Q2 versus 100.9 um, versus Q3, Q4. So you don't see that the only one that had that was Gonzaga and that was partially just due to their the imbalanced um, schedule. Uh, but 
every other team that was in that kind of study had much better numbers against Q3, Q4, which again are the easier games or the St. John's at homes or the DePaul's at homes or the uh, the teams that you're supposed to kind of be able to throttle. And Marquette had issues with that this year, but um, we haven't seen the issues kind of come up in big spots um, other than the UConn away game. That was the only game that defensively kind of um, was below expectation, I would say. Every, every other game where they've had to step up in a, in a big way against a good opponent at Creighton, that was, again, a tremendous defensive effort. Um, Xavier both times, to be honest. Um, Providence at home was less so, but uh, in January. So I, what I'm trying to say through all of this is we're seeing the defense come together at the right time, play with tremendous intensity in a deep rotation. It's not like uh, my, my worry was it was just the, the, the starting five that was able to play D. Once the bench comes in, it kind of falls off. Um, but I, I don't believe so after seeing the last couple nights and seeing um, Chase Ross being able to D up and Joplin defend the interior um, and even Ben Gold come in for a stretch and, and not really give up much. So, um, yeah, the defense is is something you got to keep an eye on as you look forward to Selection Sunday and beyond. Exactly. And that's uh, Ben Gold to me was also really interesting in the end of the UConn game because with Iguodaro in foul trouble, they had to lean on Ben Gold to give you quality minutes against the best center pairing in the Big East. And he did it. I thought he was incredibly impressive there in that short stint. And it wasn't perfect, but I think a general theme this is something Tommy and I have been talking about all week long how many freshmen across the conference we've seen come into their own this week and have really good performances. And I think with Ben Gold, that was, there was no exception there for Marquette. It's a, it's a young team. People, people forget about that. <laughs> it takes me. a while for the defense to build I up. I won't let them forget. My favorite chart <laughs> this year is I have this, uh, this distribution chart of ages across the NCAA based on experience. And Marquette is not only the, the youngest Big East team by a significant margin to Creighton, uh, but like one of the bottom 20 in terms of experience. So not, not age, but like on-court experience, how many years they've played. Uh, and it's, yeah, it, it, it's to bring this full circle. It's nuts. Like I get that they probably were picked too low at ninth, but to have a double Big East championship under their belt with this team with this amount of experience this amount of youth is uh it's just mind-blowing to be honest yeah no it's it's absolutely wild and it's it's one thing to get this kind of year over year improvement like a, a sophomore leap from a couple of players <laughs> it's every player in the roster it yeah. seems like and i don't know the last time i've i don't know if i've ever seen that if you, you could make a whole like most improved team in the Big East, it would be Joel Soriano plus Marquette's players. <laughs> well, and I mean, have a good team. <laughs> yeah, I, I made this case. I was like, I know he's not going to win it because he's going to win Big East Player of the Year, but Tyler Kolick is by far the most improved player in the conference. So, yes, he played a lot of minutes last year, but his efficiency numbers, he jumped 30 points on more minutes and higher usage. Like, it's just unheard of. I went through six years worth of data and didn't find anyone over 20. And I stopped and I, I didn't write an article because I kind of gave up and I was like, that's, that's, I'm done looking at <laughs> to 11 and 10 uh, individual pages a year. But um, it's it, it's crazy because obviously he gets a lot of the plaudits. Obviously, he got the Big East Player of the Year. He got the most outstanding player in the tournament. Um, but you could say the same thing for Cam Jones. You could say the same thing for Oso Godaro. You could say the same thing for Omex Prosper. Um, you could say the same thing for David Joplin. And, and that's what, to your point, like, this across the board improvement is is incredible to kind of yeah. have seen uh, firsthand. Yeah, 
and it's I mean, it's the reason why Marquette was picked so low because you don't see that year-over-year improvement no. very often. Uh, not, not from a full team, no, never. No, no, not from the whole roster. Usually it's, yeah. oh, it's nice that we got these two players that got better. Now now we hit the recruiting for the next year to fill out the rest of the roster. Right. Not right. all six players became, <laughs> uh, what do you call it, like worthy of all-conference yeah. honors. It's like last year I saw Jordan Hawkins. I think they played in the Bahamas, UConn did. And I literally, I had never heard of him. I really don't follow UConn recruiting or nothing. And you saw him like, holy cow, they just found Ray Allen. Like, that's the way he moves, the way he shoots. And obviously, he, he had an okay year last year, but you knew he was going to be, he's going to break out. And obviously, he, he had a great year. But no one said that about any of the Marquette players. Like, you don't, you didn't see it. Like, it's not like if you watch the games religiously, you could, you could kind of project this. Some people did. There are some Marquette fans that I have to shout them out. Um, Alan Bukowski of Crack Sidewalks, he had an article this summer saying, hey, these are the three levels of, possible improvement and i think he picked marquette with 24 wins so um it's not to say that it couldn't have happened it's just you had to have a lot of belief in the system and a lot of belief in the players and obviously that was you have little faith that was a doubting thomas over here and i mean it really is a season where everything has gone right for the yeah. golden eagles you're at a point it doesn't really matter what happened it feels like you're, you're almost playing with house money going into march madness at this point because you've won so many games you already yeah. have two trophies like obviously you'd like to win it all and go as far as you can it's not that you don't want to win those games but yeah. you, you've already accomplished so much that it's a season's already a success no matter yeah. what else happens no, it, it has been um incredible uh, obviously the first time they've ever won the sole ownership of the big east in the regular season first time they ever made the finals of the big east tournament let alone win it um highest rank in the ap poll since 1978 first Ken Palm top 10 d and or offense and, and all. so like all of these very different measures of like resume of quality of uh metrics and they've all been outstanding um and it was just funny i think it was rob douster who had a tweet on friday he's like elite eight or biggies tournament championship and i was like well this is not even close i would trade one ncaa tournament win for a biggies tournament championship like i from marquette's perspective um having a much less um, kind of history of conferences, let alone the Big East itself. Um, the NCAA tournament has really been the be-all and end-all. So not to downplay any of the accomplishments. Obviously, these are two banners that are going to hang up in the Pfizer for, for forever, the Big East tournament regular season, Big East tournament championship. But one NCAA tournament victory will make sure that the the storyline for forever is going to be just 100% positive. If, if they get bounced in the first round, there's going to be so many shock. Yeah. I can't win. Marquette hasn't won in a decade. So again, and this might be a personal thing. I don't want to speak on behalf of everyone. Um, and nothing will take away the success that this team has already accomplished. Um, but there's, as Shaka likes to say, there's no finish line. There's still work to be done. Yeah. And you know, the goal here is to win six more games. <laughs> I give think this two. team can do give it. Me, give me to the Sweet 16 and, and yeah. we're, we're gravy. What I'll tell you is this much, and Dan Hurley had mentioned this on Friday too, having a prep for Marquette on short rest in that offense is nearly impossible. It is. And yeah. this is why I I really, and I was talking to Matt Norlander, trying to convince him of this a couple <laughs> times now over the last couple of weeks about how 
Marquette's like I think Marquette and Creighton are opposites going into the tournament. Creighton's the team that I think can beat anybody on Thursday or Friday, but that having to go the, the two games in three yeah. days with the depth, and maybe you could throw Xavier in this category too now. Yeah, without for the, the depth, all right, short rest, can they get it done? The next game, Marquette's one of those where Thursday or Friday, you know what, maybe they get upset. I don't think I, I think this Marquette team is good enough to not get upset right away. Um, but if they get through that, I really like the rods to make it through any given weekend because how the hell are you supposed to defend this offense when you get one practice to prep for it? Yeah, no. And the thing that I love about this Marquette team is that it didn't shoot well today. Like it started out hot. I think it was four of eight, but it ended up below. It was like around 30% from three. It is not dependent on something as variable as three point shooting to make the offense go. It could get it in a whole host of ways. Obviously, most of the season we've seen um, pick and roll with uh, Kolek and also just be deadly. Um, now we've seen Kolek take his scoring game just to a whole different dimension in the last three, four weeks. Um, we've seen Joplin start to dial in from deep. Um, and But we haven't even seen a real cam game. We, we haven't seen Omax really hit from the perimeter. I think he was one for seven today, something like that. So this team... It hasn't, again, having said it after a 20-something point coast-to-coast victory today, it has not peaked. And that is no. that is pretty intriguing to me, where if it has a yeah. Baylor-type game in terms of yeah, it's hitting an absurd amount of threes, like, that that's not a team that can be beat. Obviously, this team isn't a good enough shooting team to, to expect that, but that's always within the realm of possibilities that they string a few threes together and all of a sudden you're up 15 and good luck. Yeah. And it's one of those where it's all, it's all small sample size at this point. Yes. You only need it to happen yeah. once yeah, and metrics, that can change your care. season. Yeah. I don't yeah. care what, what, what it looks like. Get to the nope. next game and, and yeah. survive in advance. Yeah, it feels like this whole tournament for Marquette, except for that getting down by 14 against St. John's was, Basically, on offense, we're going to run games, two-man games with uh, Igadaro and Tyler Kolek. And the second that you start to defend that by collapsing into the paint, we're kicking a Joplin yeah. in the corner, and he's going to yeah. knock him down. And yeah. there's just yeah, – yeah, and there's no there's no answer for it. And then the defense is we're going to take away your best shooter. You know, Jordan Hawkins basically taken out of the game on Friday. Sule Boom basically taken out of the game in the championship on Saturday. And – that's if you can take away a team's best score and run simple offense that is effective and works, you're going to win a lot of games, which is what this, this team has obviously done all season long. Yeah. And, and I mean, I like that you mentioned um, taking Hawkins out. And I think you, you had a tweet today about yeah. the, the, the way Mark has been able to limit really good three point shooters this whole week and, and beyond, because it was done in a few different ways, which is surprising. Usually you have a base defense and you kind of stick to it, but um, it was super surprising to see Omax on Hawkins that he had not played on him. Basically the, the two previous games, it had been Stevie Mitchell for the most part, a little bit of chase Ross, a little bit of cam Jones. Um, and, Omax with his length was in um, kind of usually doubling in the in the interior, but obviously he wasn't because you're not going to leave Hawkins open on, on Friday. So all of this is to say that even though the, the pieces aren't what you would say like Big East defender of the year caliber, um, there are some interesting wrinkles to be had uh, on any given matchup. The thing that's going to give them problems and it. it Every single game, I, <laughs> I treated last year, and I just can retweet it every single half, basically without being wrong. Is my kingdom for a rebound? They're going to get out rebounded. They're going to get pounded on the glass. Um, it's it, 
it's going to happen. It happens to all Shaka teams this this past two it's years. It's a side effect of the way they play. Yes, exactly. And as long as you can defend the board, as long as you can make sure you're turning over the opponent enough to kind of limit some of that shot distribution, um, dif- disparity, um, you live with it. And obviously, easier said than done. I, I kind of like curl up inside every time I see Tsunogo grab another board or Nunji grab another board or any other big man in the country grab another board. But uh, I can't complain with the results at this point. No, and it's I was impressed tonight by the hustle, too on the rebounding and got guys flying all over the court for Marquette trying to get loose balls. Yeah. And that's the energy you need. It's yeah. if you have that, you make it difficult. Like you're going to, you're going to give up some stuff, but if you have the energy plays to make up some of the difference, you're going to go from getting killed on the glass to just getting yes. beaten on the glass. Yes. And if that's all it is, then with everything else Marquette does, that's not an issue as long yeah. as it's functioning the way it should be. Yeah, no, and that, that today, you, particularly, you saw them flying around. It was it was such a sight to see. Um, again, I missed the first few minutes, so I, I came when I came and started watching. It was already a, a double digit affair, but from that point, there wasn't this letdown. Um, no, you, you saw that they were they were still connected. They were still c- kind of communicating, switching, collapsing. Um, it was it was a great game. Yeah, and you could see, I mean, there was 90 seconds left in the game, and the players still had that same look in their eyes, that same intensity that they had pregame, which, remarkable, and talk about culture, uh, deflections, milkshakes, (laughs) whatever goes into what Shaka Smart is doing over there, it's working, and these guys are buying in, and it's, I mean, it starts with the players, too, Tyler Kolick, we all know uh, what he said, Uh, I just think it was funny. Yeah, after after the game too, I made I made eye contact with him and he gave me a smile. So I walked over, was talking to him, and he uh, he repeated his quote. Uh, <laughs> he has leaned into it. The team as a whole has leaned into it, and they're loving it. Um, talking to Kolek too, he mentioned how they want to just be able to win in different ways, and he was very happy with the defensive performance and happy to see them get a win yeah. out of that tonight, uh, which was big and. Uh, Cam Jones was saying that too about just like bringing the energy and everything. So, really, a great team culture here. That's that's what college basketball is all about, right there. It, it is, and it's super cliche. And if you don't root for Marquette necessarily, it kind of looks kind of lame and like, oh, seriously, they're doing all this. They got a belt. They got a chain. Um, they're getting milkshakes. Like, but with this team, it's they bought in. Like they they're all in. It's it's not a like a check the box sort of thing like they want to be part of this culture they want to be yeah you know what i think yeah you know what i think the funniest part of that is because we were going back and forth on friday on twitter about the deflections thing we're asking like you know, yeah. how many deflections is it yep. but i noticed today they play the hype videos for both teams mm-hmm. before it has 32 plus deflections is listed <laughs> in the hype video yeah. How many? I have never seen that before. Yeah. We're we're gonna list a stat like that in a hype video. Let me tell you, like they have brainwashed the fan base to an extent <laughs> where you, you know these ridiculous acronyms like EGB, energy giving behavior. You know, thirty two plus deflections. You know that they're grabbing milkshakes afterwards. You know that they're, they're gonna play with violence. You know they want to pour into each other. So they have a jug on the sideline. You know they have their dominoes. So um, that, that's one of the big things is be a domino. So you kind of you are the influence for the next person and that person influences the next. So um, it's all of this kind of 
it's super cheesy. Like it, it, it is like you wouldn't see this in an NBA team. Like they, they'd laugh you out of the court. Like that's why I'm not worried about Shaka ever making it to the NBA because he he lives for this kind of stuff. Like he has this yeah. culture book. He he does all of this cliche coaching coach speak stuff that um, drives professionals nuts. But um, when it works the way it works, who, who's to say it, it doesn't it doesn't belong, right? Well, yeah, and that's I think you look at why it didn't work at Texas. The types of recruits are getting to Texas yeah. are the guys who are looking at the NBA. And there's not a whole lot of guys necessarily on this current Marquette roster that are going to do that, not in the immediate future at least. I don't think any of these guys no. are getting into the draft next year. Everybody's got their eye on yeah, winning I, right I now. I was worried, gonna though. Buy in. Draft Express tweeted twice about Tyler Kolick. I was about to tweet at him like, take your hands off my point guard. <laughs> Don't even don't even lay eyes on him. But yeah, no, yeah. no, no one is going to be projected to be drafted. Um, I'd be surprised if anyone enters. Maybe you could see Oso just testing the waters. Maybe Omax. Um, again, two older players that um, have the the necessary length. But it, like, I mean, Tyler went on I think what different podcast. Um, and he was like, I want to be in college as long as I can. <laughs> so so it's yeah, it, it is a a group that has been immensely likable outside of the results just as yeah. themselves obviously yeah. you had in the results and the, they're legends in the eyes of market fandom yeah and I've, I've been saying for a while now since maybe december regardless of how good this marquette team was going to be they were the most watchable team in the whole <laughs> big east and just the fun that they have the energy they play with the up tempo the offense all that and you know, it led to results that's you know they say like, if you feel good you play good there's a lot of that yeah. here oh, with the is. golden eagles and their players yeah. and yeah i know we want to wrap up here it's a late night i got one more question for sure. you before we go and a little a little controversial one but i do oh. want your opinion okay. on this one it's year one of the post to jay wright era in the big east and i think the big overarching storyline for the conference this year was who's going to step up to be the next guy and i think kind of the answer was We've seen all season. There's a there's a cast of characters. There's a lot of really good coaches in the Big East, but you know, Shaka Smart here, Big East coach of the year, regular season champs, conference tournament champs. Do you think he's the best coach in the Big East at the moment? I don't know if I'd say he's the best coach, but he is the best fit at his school. So he is the perfect blend of kind of um, X and O, tactician, culture, vibe sort of thing which makes him kind of the most likely to continue this success uh, but i mean sean miller that they didn't have a great night tonight but um i would put him on in top of any coaching list i think right now um ed cooley what he's been able to accomplishment accomplish um you kind of have to also throw him into the mix so i don't think it's fair to either of those coaches to say that Shaka is the best. Um, but what I will say is that his fit after all he's been through, after what he's seen, after kind of what Marquette went through, um, you, you literally couldn't script it any better than that. So um, I'll, I'll give you at least that much and, and stay out of the controversy. Well, <laughs> well answered there. Hey, you didn't even mention Greg McDermott or Dan Hurley. Oh yeah. Answering oh. that too, which is two more guys, at least in the top 25 yeah. coaches no, in the and, nation. I mean, right not there. to, not to get too off track um, with Patrick Ewing gone and Mike Anderson gone, the coaching pool in the big East is top to bottom, maybe the best in the country, like depending on who comes in to replace those two. It is unreal the, the amount of talent that's on the sidelines. Yeah, and uh, if you listen to the rumors, St. Yeah. John's maybe adding the in team. a guy who's another 
some would say a top five coach Hall of in Famer. college basketball. Yeah, right now. So just it's it's what makes this conference so fantastic and it makes winning so hard. <laughs> and so sweet once you once you finally taste it. Exactly. And Marquette is on top at the moment. Uh that double big East championship crown, something you can't take away. Great second year for Shaka Smart. And uh, like you said, those banners are gonna hang up there forever. We'll see how much more winning Marquette can do. We'll see where they end up in the bracket on Sunday. Very curious. I think they could be a two seed here with this one. Yeah, I mean, I was very anti-two in terms of possibility, but enough people are saying two now that I'm kind of curious. We'll see. My, yeah. I, I've told you before, I just want Columbus. I don't care if they're two or three. Give me to Columbus and I'll be very happy. Yeah, I think location matters more than seeding in this year's tournament for just yeah. about everybody because as long as there's Kentucky, so much parity. Can you imagine playing Kentucky and Columbus? I'd be so mad. <laughs> I'd be so mad. Well, you know, there's there's going to be probably some one seed that's going to be very upset about having to play UConn at Madison Square yes, Garden. That is so, true. That is true. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how everything breaks down. Um, I know you've been on before, but again, plug where people can find your stuff so they yeah, can they can get. You can find it. me at, on Twitter at Paint Touches, or you can go PaintTouches.com for the uh, the one or two articles a month I'll write. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you want the Twitter content? He is a great follow. Make sure you follow him. Um, great, great Marquette coverage there, and uh, you do a little little biggie stuff too. Yeah, people a little wide angle in there. <laughs> yeah, so great stuff there. Thank you for coming on, and uh, yeah, the end of a biggie season somehow feels like it just started well then yeah all right uh, everybody thank you for listening we're gonna have more content coming this week um so make sure you subscribe to our twitter youtube spotify wherever you're listening to this and uh, we'll see you next time thanks for listening <laughs>